any minute our touring bus to pull up and take us on tour. So if y'all see it, let me know. We'll wrap up pretty early. But <sighs> keep hope. Who said that? <laughs> that was Jerome. I, I recognize that voice. <laughs> well, we can always dream anyway. Isn't it good to be in God's house this morning? Got good air conditioning in here. Don't have to sit out in all that heat outside. Oh, I do. What I did, I had a, another prayer request. I just. Uh, oh, I know what it was. Uh, just uh, a moment ago, I uh, was told that uh, Sam's sister had a, a, a lawnmower accident and it rolled over on her. Is that, am I saying it right? And it uh, don't know any details right now, but said that uh, it, the mower fell on top of her. And so I, I don't have any more to give you than that. Joe, do you have any more? Oh. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Do you know where she's at or anything? Or Okay. We will find information for you, but right now that's all we know. And so just uh, keep them in your prayers, uh, uh, Sam and Bebra and their family, obviously. And so keep them in your prayers, and we'll update you as soon as we know something. But right now we just don't know anything. But it sounds like a pretty serious accident she had, so keep that in mind. If you will, turn with me to Matthew chapter 23, looking at verses 1 through uh, 13. Matthew 23, 1 through 13. But we're not going to read it yet. Now, you've probably figured out by now that I'm a big Jeff Foxworthy fan. I love his comedy. He's made a lot of jokes and made us a lot of us laugh about you might be a redneck jokes. He has hundreds of them, but two of my favorites, I'm going to just show you my favorite, are if you've been married three times and still have the same in-laws, you might be a redneck. Or if your wife has ever said, Come move this transmission so I can take a bath. You might be a redneck. But now, I'd, I'd like to take that same thought that Jeff, Worthy has, Jeff Foxworthy has and apply it a little bit different here. You might be a Baptist if. And here are some things that I came up with. You, if you believe that Jesus fed the 5,000 with catfish and hush puppies, you might be a Baptist. If you believe Jesus really turned the water into Welch's grape juice, you might be a Baptist. If you believe that winning the lottery would not entirely be a good thing, you might be a Baptist. You have to let that sink in. Number four, you're old enough for the senior discount on coffee, but not old enough to move into the senior adult ministry. You might be a Baptist. Here's one probably all of us have touched base with sometimes. You might be a Baptist if you've suffered the consequences of accidentally sitting in someone else's seat. Number six, you believe that God's presence is strongest on the back three rows of this church. You might be a Baptist. Not calling any names. I'm just stating it. And then the last one. You might be a Baptist if your definition of fellowship must involve a casserole, then you're definitely a Baptist. But I'm not talking about rednecks or Baptists today. I want to talk about hypocrites. 
Jesus had a lot to say about hypocrites. Before we read the Scripture, let's notice the context of what this is. Jesus was just days away from the cross, and he spent these final days debating with the religious leaders and teaching his disciples. Matthew chapter 23, if you would stand with me as we read this passage, Matthew 23, verses 1 through 13. And here's what he writes about it. Then Jesus spoke to the multitudes and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, that observe, and do, but do not do according to their works, for they say and do not do. For they bind heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. But all their works they do to be seen by men. They make their phylacteries broad and enlarge their borders of the garments. They love the best places at feasts, the best seats in the synagogue, greetings in the marketplace, and to be called by men, Rabbi, Rabbi. But you do not be called Rabbi, for one is your teacher, the Christ, and you are all brethren. Do not call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father, he who is in heaven. And do not be called teachers, for one is your teacher, the Christ. The Christ. But he who is greatest among you shall be your servant. And whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for, ne- for you neither go in yourselves nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. That's some pretty harsh words. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear God, we thank you, Lord, for this passage we just read. And Lord, just open our minds and our hearts and our ears, Lord, that we may hear what you're truly saying to us today. Lord, we all are hypocritical in some ways, each one of us. Lord, we just ask that you would just teach us to be totally a follower of yours. That, Lord, you just so fill our hearts, so fill our lives, so fill this church, that, Lord, we could overcome this challenge that you've talked about here in this passage. Go with us as we look at this. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Before we look at this any deeper, again, let me remind you, this is just days before the crucifixion, but this passage that we just read contains some of the harshest words that Jesus has ever said. I mean, he says words here that they're harsh to us, especially the ones he was talking to back then. But I think he wants us to get the attention of what he's saying to us. Jesus had compassion on tax collectors, if you remember from just a few weeks ago. Even prostitutes he had compassion on. And he was known as a friend of the sinners. But the one thing that aroused Jesus' righteous indignation, I guess the best way to put it, is when he came across these religious leaders who were this way, who were hypocrites. His heart was against the religious hypocrisy. He wasn't angry with these hypocrites. His heart was broken because their religious system had prevented them from the true knowledge of Jesus Christ. As I read that this past week, I couldn't help but think, how many times do we, speaking of 
every one of us and others that aren't here, every one of us, through some of our action, perhaps hinder somebody from becoming what they need to be in Christ because they see hypocrisy in our lives in many ways. The word hypocrite, uh, hypocrite literally means someone who acts in a play. Warren Wiersbe, one of the great Bible scholars of years past, wrote this. Jesus is the only person in the New Testament who used the word hypocrite. Archaeologists have discovered a Roman city named Sephoris, which you could see from Jesus' hometown of Nazareth. It housed a giant amphitheater. The actors who put on plays, they were called hypocrites. They wore a mask so the audience could identify the different characters each was intended to portray. So practicing hypocrisy means wearing a mask designed to impress or to deceive others. That's a pretty good description. Wearing a mask designed to impress or deceive others. That's what hypocrisy is. Exactly. He nailed it right there. And every one of us, to some extent, have at one time or another in our lives, probably more than once, been what we would consider a hypocrite in some things we did. Let me show you what I'm talking about. We throw that word hypocrite around a lot. People who don't attend church often complain, well, the church is full of hypocrites. I saw a sign over the bookstore not too long ago, the Baptist bookstore in Temple, and here's what it said. This church is not full of hypocrites. There's always room for one more. I like that. Next time I go over, God, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to put it in here. but it will. Hypocrisy is saying one thing, but acting another way. Someone said a hypocrite is a man who complains about all the sex and violence recorded on his DVR. Let that sink in a minute. I see some of you are slow this morning, but... Let's look at four marks of a hypocrite according to what Jesus said. Number one, let me get this out of the way here in a minute. If you do good deeds to be noticed by others, you might be a hypocrite. If you do good deeds for others to be, if you do good deeds to be noticed by others, you might be a hypocrite. If you believe carrying a bigger Bible, a 10-pound Bible, to look more spiritual makes you that way, you might be a hypocrite. That's exactly the type of person that Jesus is talking to. Matthew chapter 23, verse 5 that we just read says this. Listen to what it says. But all their works they do to be seen by men. They take their phylacteries, broad and enlarged, the borders of their garments. A phylactery was a little leather box, the way I understand, that had tiny little rolls, uh, scrolls inside of it, just a small box, and they would literally tie it on their head where it's between their eyes. Now, I'm getting this from a book, so I don't, I don't know if that's exactly right, but I think it's close anyway. But it's, it had straps. They could use these boxes and tie them around their heads most of the time so people could see them. In other words, they wanted to look like they were very spiritual. They wanted to look very godly that they studied the Scriptures all the time because people knew what those little boxes on their forehead was. It didn't only hold their brains. I mean, that's, that's something else. But, but they wanted to be shown up. They wanted to show off that they're the religious leaders. 
They're the ones that have the power, if you will. It had these stripes, and they could tie these boxes on their heads and on their arms so people could notice them. In fact, they did it for a reason. Did you realize there's a uh, scripture that talks about this? Flip back with me to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 8 real quick. This is where it come from. comes from. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 8. Now, remember, this is in the Old Testament way back. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be your frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Wait a minute. That was in the Bible. What's wrong with that? He told us to do that. They begin to take them and use them as an unusual sign that, hey, wait a minute. Notice me what I've got on my head. Notice me what I'm wearing my arm. Don't we do that sometimes? Even in the modern church? Notice what I'm doing. Notice how I'm doing this. You need to copy what I'm doing. We may not say those words, but we do those words by the way we respond many times. Jesus pointed out it had become a contest to see who could have the largest phylacteries and the longest prayer tassels. All these guys would get these long tassels that dragged the ground, just almost touching, so people could see them. Oh, he must be a man of God. Oh, he must be a holy person. Oh, he must be so spiritual. It had nothing to do with real prayer or God's Word. It was all about making other people notice you and your spirituality. That's what they were doing it for. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus warned against this kind of performance mentality. He said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 2, Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory from men. And then he adds this, Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. Jesus was not impressed when we try to act so spiritual in our earthly selves. He wasn't impressed when we try to put on shows that show how godly we are and how spiritual we are and how religious we are. He wasn't impressed a bit. And he, in fact, he said in those words, they have their reward. Did you see what he's saying? Now listen to those words. They have their reward. What's the reward we're searching for? Heaven one day. He said that's all they're going to get, the applause of men, the praise of men, because they're not going where everybody else is going if you're a child of God. He was hard on them. He was harsh on them. He also warned about praying just so others could hear you. He said, don't do that. In fact, praying, fasting, good deeds, these are all legitimate disciplines in our lives that we need to practice. It's all about our motives is what he's saying. He's not saying don't pray. He's not saying don't reach out to people. He's saying what are the motives you're doing for? Why are you doing this? Look at your motives. Is it to be self-noticed, or is to be God-responded? Why are we responding? What are we doing? How are we doing these things? It's about our motives. And we, are we doing these things so that others will notice and think better of us? Are, they doing it to think, are we doing it to think better of Him? Everything we give Him the honor and praise for is toward Him. Everything should be. 
It's easy to, for us to slip into a mode where we perform religious acts so others will see us doing them. And we've all done it to some degree at one point in our life. I mean, we've all just a little bit showy sometimes. If the applause of people is what you're looking for, that's the reward you'll get, Jesus said. The real performers are not on stage to receive a lot of applause. That's what actors live for. They're acting a part. But we Christians should live our lives to hear our Master say one of these days, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. That's what we're doing. That's what we should be doing. Does this mean that we should never have performed acts of service or good deeds publicly? Of course not. We ought to reach out to people. We ought to lend somebody a hand sometime when they need it. We ought to reach down and give them some, a, a dollar every once in a while. I was sitting in a restaurant just the other day, just down the street here in one of our hamburger joints. And this lady was out on the street, and she, you could tell she was panhandling or trying to. And I couldn't help but watch this other guy that was appeared to be the same way. Now, I don't know what he gave him, but he reached into his pocket and pulled out a bill, a dollar bill, maybe $10 bill, I don't know. But he handed it to her. And I thought, now that's a pure motive right there. I mean, here's a guy that looked like he doesn't have anything. And here's a lady that was on the streets. It's there quite often. You've probably all seen her up and down the street. And he reached in his pocket and gave her a, whatever the bill was. And I thought, now that's a pure motive right there. Because he wasn't going to get anything back from her. I mean, she didn't have anything. He didn't look like he had anything. But I thought to myself, how many times have I passed by those people and just passed them instead of giving them a, a dollar, 50 cents, whatever it may have been. And then I looked at him, and I looked at myself, the pastor of a church, and I felt about that big because I'd never done that before. In fact, to be honest with you, my thoughts are most of the time, oh, they ought to get up and get a job. That's what I think most of the time. But that man, and I have no idea who he was, but he looked like a homeless man. And this was definitely looked like a homeless lady. And I don't again, I don't know what he gave her, but he gave her something. And whatever it was, is a dollar more than what I'd ever give anybody in that same area. Let's move along before I get myself in trouble. <laughs> if you always point out to point people to God as the source of your goodness, then by all means, do good. And do good in the name of Jesus Christ. I don't know if that guy knows Jesus. I have no idea. I don't know if that lady knew Jesus. But I know this. Somebody did an act of God in his name. Regardless. Matthew five sixteen says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. That's our motivation right there. Our good works are not to be noticed by each other and people on the street. Our good works are to be noticed by Him. That's what we need to be noticed, be noticed for. The next thing we see. If you love being addressed with special titles, you might be a hypocrite. Jesus spoke these harsh words to the religious professionals because they coveted that special status with special titles. They wore those titles as a badge of spirituality. Look at me, I'm the rabbi. Look at me, I'm the chief priest. 
Look at me, who I am. Matthew 23, verse 6 and 7 says, They love the best places at the feast, the best seats in the synagogues, greetings in the marketplace, and to be called by men, Rabbi, Rabbi. I want to be the first one to tell you this, to confess to you this. Preachers sometimes are the worst at wanting titles. I'm serious. Some preachers are the worst you can find at warning titles. I've got a sister-in-law. In fact, Judy's not here this morning. She wanted to visit her brother and sister-in-law in Fort Worth. And, and uh, I remember years ago she worked at a bank there in Fort Worth, and she told me this story, and I, I presume it's true. But she said, working in one of the big banks there in downtown area of Fort Worth, and she said one of the well-known preachers came in and said he was the worst customer you had because he, think he de- thought he deserved everything. Because he was preacher so-and-so. Folks, I don't think God smiles about that. I don't care what the title is on him. There are all kinds of diploma mills out there where pastors can write off. Did you realize? Now, I have never been close to a doctor. I don't even like to go to doctors. But did you realize that I could send off and get a doctorate degree in philosophy and have it back here in a month's time and I could be the doctor of whatever it is? The doctor of theology. I couldn't even spell theology, let alone be one of them. But you can send off and do that. And you can get it in your name, and it looks official. They do that so they can be called the Reverend Doctor Tinkling Symbol or whatever. In fact, that reminds me of a story I heard. A, a funny poem, not a story. It goes like this. There once was a preacher named Tweedle who refused to accept his degree. He said it's bad enough to be Tweedle without being Tweedle D.D. There's some, in, there's some truth in that. I try to not to make a big deal about being called anything particular. My name's Norm. Now, I don't mind you calling me Brother Norm because we call everybody brother and sister. Now that's, you're our brothers and sisters. But I have always, now this is just me. I'm going to just share my heart for just a moment. I've always had a problem with people call me Reverend. Reverend Melton. That just don't sound very reverent to me. <laughs> I, I mean, I mean, it just, just something about it just don't sit right with me. And here, I'll show you in a minute why, but it just, it just, it just doesn't sound right. We believe around here that every single person of this church is a minister. Amen? How many of you are ministers? Raise your hand. Wow, I didn't think that many agree. No, I'm, I'm kidding. But We're all ministers. Every one of us. We take the Word of God and we spread it across this city every single day. I could stand up here and preach for two hours, but you could take, and all the words that I would say would be nothing to what you group right here, and it's not a large group today, could take and share in a day's time. Far more than I ever could. God has called me to be a minister. That doesn't mean he didn't call you to be ministers. Every one of us are ministers at Robertson Avenue Baptist Church. I don't care who you are. You're to minister what God's taught you to somebody else during the course of the week. That doesn't mean you're going to have a church. You may have one day. You may take over this one one day. I don't know. But I've always had a problem with that 
title reverend. One of our core values, again, is that every member is a minister. Some of us do it as a vocation. Most of you do it as a volunteer, which is a harder job. The word laity comes from the Greek word laos, which means people. Guess what? I'm a people. You're a people. We're all people. Jesus says people are ministers. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ. There's a big if right there. Jesus says, every one of you that claim the name name of Jesus Christ is a minister of the gospel. I don't want to be a minister. Too bad, you're a minister. And Jesus expects you to share the gospel everywhere you go. Well, I wouldn't know the words to say, share it by the things you do then. That man, man I said about just a few moments ago, he shared the gospel, and I don't even know if he's a Christian. He just had a caring heart. We could do the same things. Now, I know, I understand our situation with there, the homeless and so forth. I, I totally understand it. But at the same time, we're to share God's Word at work, at play, at Walmart, at HEB, wherever you go. We're to share it. And sometimes all they have to do is watch us, and they'll know, hey, something's different about that person. And that may be what changes them. The lust for status isn't restricted to pastors. Maybe you love to be called deacon or teacher or master teacher or professor or CEO or president or boss. After Jesus warned how these hypocrites have a desire for outward righteousness, status, and idols, he repeated one of his favorite lines. The greatest among you will be your servant. I like that. How do you get to be great in God's eyes? By being a servant. You wonder why Jesus never demanded people call him Messiah or Son of God? Jesus didn't want a title. The title he preferred was Son of Man. Now think about it. He was the Son of God, but he preferred Son of Man. That was a servant title, if you think about it. The night before he was crucified, Jesus at the Last Supper, the disciples were proud of their titles as chosen disciples of Jesus. Oh, that had a ring to it they liked. Remember this, the disciples, these are some of the faithfulest men we've ever met. But they had the same problems you and I do. They had this title that they're disciples of Jesus Wow, what an impact. What a difference that's going to make in their lives. Jesus did something that night that was so unusual, it's unbelievable. Got those disciples, these important men, these ones that were going to help Jesus carry the message to the rest of the world, these guys that were set aside for this powerful deal. And Jesus walked in the room and took off his robe, got a basin of water, and sat down on the floor and begin to wash those dirty, filthy, stinking feet of his disciples. Why did he do that? Jesus was teaching them something they couldn't learn any other way. And folks, that's exactly what he has to do to us sometimes. He has to teach us the way up is on your knees. The way up is down. 
The way down is going down. Jesus taught his disciples. Remember, at this day and age, the lowest slave on the totem pole was the one that washed the feet. When people would come, now I don't want to get too gross here, but at that day and age, they didn't have curves and gutters and things. They walked in the dirty, stinking, sewer-ridden streets, and it stunk. And they'd walk in their house, and if you're enough to have a slave, then they would have somebody that would wash their visitors' feet because of that reason. Jesus chose to do that to show us what we're to be like. He took off his robe, got it on the floor with those stinking, filthy feet, and took a towel and began to wash his feet. Remember what old Peter said? No, Jesus, you're not going to wash my feet. No way that's going to happen. And Jesus says, if I don't wash your feet, then I don't wash any of you. I paraphrased. And Peter said, well, then wash my whole body. He said, Peter, you don't need your body washed, just your feet. Peter was, Peter was sort of a cantankerous old boy. But he got the message. But Jesus washed the feet of those men. What was he doing it for? He was fixing to go to the cross in just hours. He was fixing to go die for these very men as well as everybody else. Why would he do that? Because that's a lesson that each one of us need to learn, that we're all a little bit lower than what we think we are. Nobody's above reaching out and helping somebody else. One of the things I love about this church, and the almost, y'all realize I've been here almost four years? I mean, it sounds like you're complaining. So <laughs> it, uh, uh, I mean, next month we'll be here four years, well, July, uh, August, but anyway. One of the things I like about this church so much, there has been time, in fact, some of you are sitting right here in this crowd, time and time when people had needs. And all we'd have to do is make a phone call, and people would bring whatever it was, whether it be food, whether it be fixing lunch for somebody, whether it be furniture. I mean, there's, I can name you numerous things that just out of the woodwork they came. For Christmas this past year, I'm not going to call any names, but we had somebody that literally carried a truckload of stuff to people. I love that. That's exactly what Jesus is talking about to each one of us. We're to find people who need and reach out to them. Whatever it is. And by the way, it's not always the one that have a lot of money that do the helping. Sometimes it's the one that have less that do the helping. The third thing we see. If you keep people out of God's kingdom, you might be a redneck. I mean, I'm sorry, a hypocrite. <laughs> sorry about that. <laughs> I told you I like Jeff Foxworthy too much, but you might be a hypocrite. Remember, hypocrites were actors on a stage wearing a mask and playing a role. Doesn't that describe some people you know, even inside the churches? Every one of us have either been one or knows one that they acted like something. I remember years ago, we was at a church up in, uh, uh, when we was living up in the Lake Texoma area. And we went to this little church out there, a good little country church. And they had a, Judy and I walked in, and boy, just, just won us over. We just joined that church and stayed there about a year before I got transferred somewhere else. And anyway, it's, uh, 
we had a music director, and he was a good music director. And, boy, he was just a go-getter. I mean, was a, this was a growing church, just a young church. Everything just booming with it. One day I walked into one of the stores there in uh, the area, a little convenience store, and I was just going to get whatever I was after, and I heard somebody. It sounded, well, that voice sounds familiar. But then I heard some of the filthiest language come out of that mouth. I walked around to look because I thought, that sounds like Dale. And it was. Now, he didn't see me, and I regret now, but I walked out and got out of there. I didn't want him to see me. I should have confronted him about it. Here was the music director on Sunday morning, get up and sing praise and worship and lifting up God's name, and then cussing like a sailor on Monday morning. That's exactly what Jesus is talking about right here. Listen to it. But woe to you, you scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. For you go neither you neither go in yourselves, or, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. Do you know what that verse just said? Listen to it again. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, the religious leaders, you hypocrites! You shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. In other words, he's saying your behavior is stopping men and women from going to heaven. Because they look at your life, that you're supposed to be the kind of Christian that represents the church, and you're speaking like the filthiest language you can imagine. Folks, just because people don't hear us say some things doesn't mean God doesn't hear it. Just because we act like a Sunday lover on Sunday morning doesn't mean we do it on Monday through Thursday. Just because we do things at church that... Oh, they're so sweet and loving, and we can sing, and we can raise our hands, and we can just sing out those songs. Doesn't mean we live the life of Christ during the week. That's called hypocrites. We act one way, and then we act another way altogether. I've seen a lot of adults and teenagers that have Sunday life, and then they have a life Monday through Saturday. Every Sunday they would load up and go to church and be nice little Sunday school boys and girls. But on the weekends, they'd go out drinking with a neighbor and just doing all kinds of things that you wouldn't imagine. And yes, some of them are Baptists, believe it or not. They're opening the door for you to tell them about Christ. Share Christ with them. And you might be doing out something that's so totally against God. Folks, God didn't call us to be Sunday morning Christians. He called us to be Christians totally. To be what Jesus is in everything we do. Then let me ask you, as young people, young adults perhaps, adults, what's it going to take to shake you out of your Jekyll and Hyde act? That you're one thing on Sundays and totally something different on Sunday mornings. I believe with all of my heart that Jesus looks at us sometimes. And you know, there's a verse in the Bible in the New Testament that says that if He chooses so, He can take our life in a moment's notice. Sometimes I look at people that call themselves, and I'll use church members because I'm not so sure about Christians, some of them. Church members... And wonder why God just doesn't take them out of this world because they're doing no godly use whatsoever. Nobody. 
when we begin to harm the kingdom of God, and some people do that call themselves Christians, we're doing more harm to God than good. Don't be surprised if He doesn't just take you away. How do you know that? I don't. But I know this. God didn't call you to be a part-time Christian. He called you to be a full-time Christian every day of the week. The last part, real quick. I started not to put this one in because I'm probably going to make somebody mad when I say this. My next point is, if this message makes you mad, you might be a hypocrite. How did the religious leaders respond after Jesus said all these things? They said, Jesus, you're right. We repent. Nope. They got so angry at him. They had him had arranged to have him arrested and crucified. This is the religious leaders, remember? They got so mad at Jesus for saying basically these words I just told you that they wanted to put him to death. Folks, I've seen some people get so mad at God that they wanted to quit being a Christian. Oh, be careful when you come there. Because the God can do it pretty quick. He can fix that situation. They were so angry, they arranged to have him arrested. They put him through a mock trial. And then they demanded the Romans crucify him. Christian author Jack Taylor used to say, The truth will set you free, but first it will make you mad. <laughs> I like that. I tend to think that's right. You may be thinking, well, what are you, who, who are you to tell me that I'm a hypocrite? I'm not. I can't. I'm telling you who I am. A hypocrite. Guess what? Some days I get up in a bad mood. Some days I say things to my wife I probably shouldn't have said. Especially if she's in the room. Some things I don't do the godly things that I know I ought to do. That's being a hypocrite, folks. That's being a hypocrite in every facet of it. We all do it to some degree. I get up and sometimes I'm just not on the right side of the bed. I may come down here and I may get a phone call from somebody and they just chew me out one side and down the other. I'm not in a good mood. And that's a church person. Wait until the bad ones come in. I'm kidding. I'm, that don't happen very, very often. But what I'm saying, folks, each one of us literally are hypocrites some point in time. Every one of us. I like what Paul said. I'm going to read this. It's pretty lengthy, but it's, it's Romans, chapter four, seven, Romans chapter 7, verse 14 and 15, then verse 18, and then verse 24 through 25. But listen, listen to what Paul, how he wrote this. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For what am I doing? I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. Oh, the wretched man that I am, 
Who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. Can you relate to that? Does that sound familiar in your life? Paul struggled with temptation, folks. Paul was the, gr- the great character Paul. I mean, he started churches. He did mission work. He struggled with temptations just like you and I do. Do you think you're immune from it? No. You've got the same disease. It's called carnality in our lives. Let's go on. I'm not even finished yet. Paul struggled with the temptation and sin long after he became a Christian. His final solution was to declare this. Listen to these words. I can't live the Christian life. I need someone to rescue me. And thank God Jesus Christ is doing that day by day as I surrender control of my life to Him. Amen. The point of this passage is found in one sentence parable that Jesus gave in Matthew chapter 23, verse 12. Here's what He says. And whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. The world talks about climbing to the top of the ladder, top of the heap, getting to the top of the hill, reaching the points of success. In God's kingdom, it's just the opposite. The way up, self-promotion, is always down, humbled by God. But the way down, selfishness, up is honored by God. The Apostle Paul once was a proud Pharisee who put Christians to death, as we all know. Jesus tackled him and set him on the new path. As you read his letters, and I, I just read this not too long ago, and it just I'd never heard this before, but it, I looked it up to see what it was. I'm going to show it to you in just a second. As you read his letters, you discover an interesting progression in his own self-evaluation. Early on, to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 11.5, Paul said these words, I am no less than the chief apostle. Pretty proud. A few years later, he wrote to the Ephesians in Ephesians 3.8 that he was, I am the least of the saints. But his final evaluation was written to young Timothy in 1 Timothy 1.5. He identified himself as the worst of sinners. That's the Apostle Paul. So what I'm bringing out that point right there for is that there's hope for me and you. Because we're just like Paul. We're carnal. We may have get up in the morning with every intention to serving Jesus. We just pouring everything into it. And old Satan's going to throw some kink into it every time. And before long, you find yourself just, well, quit. I just quit. That's how we live. But did you see Paul as he progressed? As he learned more and more, he began to be more and more like Jesus. That's exactly where we're to be. Let me close with this. Where are you on that same path? You might think, well, I'm a pretty good person. You say, I'm not perfect, but I'm better than most people, or at least some people. Or do you say, I'm just a sinner saved by grace? Maybe you should say something like, I'm not what I ought to be, and I'm not what I want to be, and I'm not what I'm going to be, but thank God, because of His grace, I'm not what I used to be. 
if you can't tell, one of my favorite songs is a song called, I'm Just a Sinner Saved by Grace. Because if I know they didn't have me in mind when they wrote those words, but that could be my life story right there. But I've got a feeling it could be a lot of people in here life story. It's a beautiful song, but it's so true. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. We don't have to be sinners anymore. We're going to be, but that's not our makeup anymore. Our makeup, if you're a child of God, is you're a child of the King. And that replaces all things. But see, it takes us focusing on that every day, every minute, every hour, every day of our lives. We've got to focus on that and be more like Jesus. One of these days, we might come close when they welcome us in that heaven and say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. I don't know about you, but I've got a long ways to improve. But Jesus is working on me. And he's not going to quit until he's satisfied. Let's stand together this morning. Dear God, we thank you, Lord, for this time you've given us. As we come to close this service, we thank you for each one that's here. But, Lord, as we could tell in this passage that you, the words that you spoke, you were so troubled and so angry about what was going on in hypocritical lives. And, Lord, I know today you must just be as, as much angered as anything else when you see us so many times and Lord as Paul says Lord I'm the chiefest of sinners in this group Lord how we need to focus on what you do in our lives Lord we turn this invitation over to you in just a moment Lord you know every person that's here every man, woman, boy and girl, teenager whatever they be Lord if you know anyone that does not know Jesus as their Lord and Savior today's the day of salvation Lord, you know of anybody that just needs to bow these steps and say, Lord, I'm not what I need to be. But, Lord, with you working on me, I may reach a point one day. Lord, don't let us be hypocrites in our lives. Take that away from each one of us. Show us where it's so dangerous to live in that life. Lord, we turn this invitation over to you. As Rocky and Mishitana play and sing, lead this music. Lord, let us respond to you, not to me, not to anybody else. Our deacons will be here waiting, but if you have a need, you can come and talk, come and pray. Whatever it is, this is your invitation. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.
Well, I've got a big confession to you make to you this morning. Last Sunday, we had a gentleman come and join the church and so forth, and I told him to be seated over there, and he's still sitting there. I walked out the doors last week and forgot to even tell anybody. Monty, come up here if you would. This is Monty Crow, and he's uh, been coming now about a month or so. And last Sunday he come. Let me back up. Let me tell you a little story, if you don't mind my telling you a little story. He's got a story for him. Well, he's got a story. No, I'm kidding. But it, uh, he come in the office not too long ago, and he said, I've given my life back to God, and I want to be something. I want to make something out of it. And it's, uh, he's been at the office several times, just pestering me to death all the time, but just uh, 